Normally, I, uh, I hide a little bit behind the pulpit. And then, honestly, as we go into this series, we decided to call Confessions of a Pastor. And I'll bring my wife in on some conversations, probably some of our other staff members at some point. Sometimes, I hide behind my own ability to preach God's Word. And I'm just going to let you in on a little preacher secret, if you will. Most preachers are just overly communicating their own greatest conviction. I'm going to use verbal pauses more than I normally would today. Um, see? I'm just going to sit. I'm going to share I'm going to tell you my slash our story. I'm going to talk about some questions that I, I think I need to answer. And I think that you'll have a better idea of why I preach the way that I preach, why I pastor the way that I pastor, and even sometimes get on little soapboxes for myself personally that some people may or may not agree with. So I'm just going to be honest today and uh, also be mindful of the fact that my 12-year-old is going to be sitting in our final service. Uh, if you haven't had to sit with your 12-year-old recently and tell her about who you were before Jesus, just know that that wasn't my favorite moment of parenting up to this point. How did I get here is a question I, I really feel like every believer and unbelievers should take a moment to just evaluate because there have been times in my life where I'm like, man, look what the Lord has done. How did I get here? And then there have been times in my life where I'm like, what in God's name have I done? How did I get here? This isn't what I intended. This this isn't what I saw happening. I didn't mean for all this. Another thing I want to challenge you with, besides just maybe evaluating that question for your life, is there have been times in my life where I was reading God's Word, and a verse, we talk about this in, it, well, I heard somebody talk about this in Bible college, a verse that went from just a written verse or a logos word, which is just written out and you just read it and you kind of read over that, to like a rhema word. And, and that's a verse that when you read it, it like jumps off the page. Sometimes it encourages your heart and sometimes it slaps you in the face. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I think that's what it means. It's a double-edged sword. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, let's fight the devil. Sometimes it's like, oh my goodness, what in the world? And if you don't, I want to ask, like what are the one or two, maybe three or four verses that you've read that did that to you? They were, they were game changer verses. They were they were just life-altering, turning-point moments that a, a word or a passage or a text had just jumped off the page for you. And, and while I say that, God gave me this in first service, so I'll smack you with it too. I'll share it with you too. Um, if, you, if you have not had that, it's because you don't read your Bible enough. 
If you can't answer that question, it's because you do not prioritize spending personal time with God enough, and so you can't answer it because you don't have it, because you haven't been doing it. But if you will, I can promise you it won't be long before God takes his word, plants it right in you. So Matthew chapter 7, mine was Matthew chapter 7 at, at uh, 20 years, I'm sorry, 19 years old. I was reading my Bible, experiencing God's study Bible. I still have it in my office today. It's, it looks, I mean, it is just a mess. There's tears and wrinkled pages and little mementos and a lot of scribbling and notes and all kinds of stuff in there. And I was reading in that Bible at 19 years old. And I read Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21 is the one that really stood out to me, but verse 20 says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. How did, I, how did I get here was the question that I was asking. You can just leave that up there for a second. Um, how did I go from this, this child that was legitimately born and raised in the church. Um, I, I attended from as long as I can remember Calvary Missionary Baptist Church with my dad and my grandmother and, and my grandfather and cousins still attend that church. All the fries in Minden, F-R-Y-E, which is a proper spelling for that. Uh, <laughs> all of My whole fry family goes to that church to this day. And, and then I would go to First Baptist Church, Minden, um, with my mom and my stepdad. I'll come back to that in a minute. But how did I go from this vacation Bible school kid that the pastor stood up and, hey, Chris gave his life to Jesus recently and, and he was baptized, he got saved. I don't like that phrase. I'll tell you more in a minute. But from that to this, I don't, immoral, obsessed, manipulative, cheating, arrogant athlete that began to drink and dip and run around on anybody and everybody that he, how did I go from there, here to there to, uh, you want me to pastor what? And lead what? And build what? <laughs> Matthew chapter 7 said in verse 20 that you will recognize them by their fruit. And I had a problem at 19 years old. What I thought about God's word and about Jesus did not line up with what other people would have thought when they looked at the way that I lived. And Jesus said, you will recognize them by their fruit. Now here was the terrifying, this was the slap me in the face scripture. And by the way, again, I, I'm not gonna be able to like stand up and clap you back into and, and, and laugh you back into attention. So you're just, you're just gonna have to fight through with me today. I'm not moving around so you don't have to look around people's head as much today. You could just kind of pick a zone, a lane, and I'm going to stay there, which is beneficial. Verse 21 says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hang on, what? Because I was just taught my whole life, get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved. And, and the Bible does say a man must be born again. And the Philippian jailer says, what must a man do to be saved? And, Jesus, and Paul says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and you and your whole family will be saved. 
But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That means who doesn't do the will of my Father is not going to be. At least that's how the Holy Spirit translated it for me in 2004 when I read it. And I don't have the rest of these verses for you, but the rest of that text said, they will cast out demons in my name, prophesy in my name, perform many miracles. Hello, Judas, in my name. And yet I will look at them and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And I knew when I read that, that text, that applied to me. Because up to that point, I had a complacent commitment to Jesus, but I did not have a covenant relationship with Jesus. I didn't know him, and he didn't know me, because I hadn't allowed him to. I was still living for Chris. So I, out of this verse, I, I went into this really deep theological study on the will of God, and I, I googled the phrase. It was a joke. Was... And I found all of these passages from John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. Jesus said, it is the will of God. I was like, <gasps> some of you have been spending your whole, I don't really know what God's will is for me. Open the book. It's right there. It is the will of God. Jesus said, it is the will of God that I, was, I would lose none of those which he has given me, but I would raise them up at the last day. Then he goes on in verse 40 to say, it is the will of God that, that you would believe in the one whom the Father has sent. So that it is the will of God that we would believe in Jesus. The apostle Peter wrote in his first letter, it is the will of God that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. <laughs> yeah, by doing good. And then he says, the Lord is not slack. In his second letter in chapter three, Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise because it is the will of God that none would perish. That's why I'm not a Calvinist. And I don't believe in predestination only. Because God didn't create somebody in the womb of their mother, knit them together before the foundation of the earth, just so that they could be born and he could use them as an example to send to hell. That's not a just father. It is the will of God that none, including Pharaoh, you figure that out later, none should perish, but all would come to repentance. And then Paul wrote this, and this one really messed me up. It is the will of God... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, that you would be made holy. Wait, wait, wait. I thought I was just supposed to get saved. And then as soon as I get saved, I'm made holy. I don't know about you, but that wasn't my story. <laughs> it is the will of God that you would be made holy. And then Paul, of all the things that he could have said, that you would not be given to sexual immorality. Or defile your body with passionate lust like the Gentiles. Wow. Well, that flies in the face of this society and everything that so many of us deal with on a daily basis. So I looked at my life and I looked at God's word and there was this huge discrepancy. All right, I'm going to go back just for a second to to junior high school, not really because you couldn't pay me enough money to have to relive all that, but 
In junior high school, I had an incredible youth pastor. He's still in ministry today. In fact, he's at the same church that he went to whenever he left First Baptist Men. And his, his name is Glenn Myers. Love Glenn Myers. I, I would say this to his face. He looks just like Waldo. <laughs> it's like, we would say, where's Waldo? There he is. Yes. It's Pastor Glenn. And uh, he's the uh, executive pastor at Zor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge. Incredible man of God. He and his wife, Carrie. And they did it the right way. They were such a phenomenal example for us. Um, Roddy Schaefer is also a pastor and, and actually an itinerant evangelist now. Um, Roddy led FCA Bible studies as a junior high basketball coach. Um, I, was, I was all in. In junior high, y'all, I was all in. I had this friend. His name was Jason Moss. And, uh, and we made this covenant, like, or commit, or deal, I don't know, whatever. We spit in our hand and shook on it. And, <laughs> and, it, and we were like, listen, we're going to be pure. Like, if you do something with a girl, I'm going to punch you in the face. And I was like, yeah, well, if you do, I'm going to punch you harder. And then we both lied because neither one of us... Neither one of us did that, but we, we had good intentions. I actually, like I hosted Bible studies at, at my house, we, not just so like me and another girl, but like, like groups of people. Like, hey, you want to come to my Bible study? Oh, I've been waiting on the man of God. No, no, no it's, not, it's not what, it, all right. So we, I, I was actually living for Jesus in that season. Um, the problem was I still had this secret addiction to immoral, immoral images. And then I had this idolization of the opposite sex. In fact, like I found my identity in what other people thought of me. And part of what other people thought of me was based on who I was in a relationship with or how many people I was in a relationship with. My parents, my dad, John Douglas Fry and my mom, Robbie Ann Ray got divorced when I was two years old. And that's not really even the sad part of my story because my mom remarried a man that I referred to as my daddy, Tim, for the last 34 years, who's treated me and my children like nothing but his own. And my dad remarried when I was six. And my stepmother of 15 years did everything for me that she was asked to do. And I have nothing ill to say about her either. Um, in fact, like my, my parents getting divorced, like the number one thing that did for me was cause me to have to live off two family incomes. <laughs> so like I had things that my other siblings didn't quite get to have, except for Kelsey who made straight A's and got a brand new BMW out of high school, but that's another story. <clears throat> or my youngest brother, they ain't never made an A and still got a new truck. I'm not sure how that worked out. <laughs> She's like, I was hoping you'd say something. Anyway, all right, so... The point of that is I had a really good upbringing. Like, I was doing, hear me, I was doing all of the, all of the right stuff. But I did not fully surrender my life to Jesus. Because there were areas of my life that I was not willing to address or confess. And when you have an area of your life that is not fully surrendered to Jesus, that means that you have an area of your life that the enemy has access to. I was living my life. My objective was success. 
in the classroom, on the field, uh, in corporate America, whatever it was. It was about me making a good living, earning a big income, and figuring out what I wanted to do for a living. Oh, by the way, Jesus was part of all my extracurricular activities because I would still go to youth group and, and I was in all of the productions at church and, and I went to VBS in Sunday school and, and I was at, at the house every time the doors were open per se. And then I was even in the youth choir. The youth choir, you know how bad of an idea that was, youth choir? We were there though and we sang our little hearts out and traveled all over the place. But I still had all of these secret sin issues and things that I was willing to do alone and with anybody that was impure and unholy. And I wasn't willing to say anything about it. See, honestly, I guess I was always a pretty, first of all, I was, I was always pretty selfish. Um, I was always pretty manipulative. I mean, look, if I could lie and get out of trouble, then lie I would. <laughs> it's just kind of what I would do. Um, I told somebody not too long ago, I've never been faithful to anybody except for my wife in any relationship. You know, because when I was seven, it was cute. How many girlfriends you have? It was like, well, uh, three, you know. <laughs> but then all of a sudden when I was 17, it almost cost me my life. And then when I was 27, my idolization almost cost me, cost me my job. That's why we don't play boyfriend, girlfriend. We don't give ourselves away and we're like, oh, how many little boys have you kissed? How many little girls have you kissed? Because a kiss is a seal of a covenant in the Old Testament and the resurrection of life in the New Testament. That's why you kiss your bride after you make the covenant. It's not something you play with a bottle in a closet and think it's funny. Uh, I'm sorry, just in this culture. So I was never faithful to anything, anybody. I, I, it's why I'm so probably wound up today on dressing modestly and looking with integrity. Uh, you know, it's why like, I, I really am trying to train my daughters um, to not show more skin than they do cover with clothes. You know, I mean, almost like it's in the Bible or something. Um, it's why I'd, in the name of Jesus, I'm, I'm trying to train my son that every time something comes on the TV that he shouldn't see, he's like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. What's up, bro? Don't look over there. No, don't do it. Just to help him bounce his eyes off of this sick society that we live in. and Learn how to be a man of integrity that sees the opposite sex and other people as brothers and sisters in Christ and not just an object of our lust. Because I never learned that. And you know what's worse? I thought Jesus was okay with it. And he wasn't, the devil was. So I had this complacent, apathetic, I think false confidence in a salvation that I wasn't living. I was full of compromise, I was half hearted. I was living for me, sprinkling Jesus in and calling it Christianity, which is very American, just not very biblical. And the reason that I preach the way that I preach is because I just described about 60% of our church. 
And I'm not trying to be ugly. I've just been there. I remember driving home one night, blurry vision, drank way more than I should have, thinking, man, I wonder if I hit one of these poles and had to stand before God, if that prayer I prayed when I was seven would be enough. I had some uh, dramatic events that I'm going to share over the next few minutes, and I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, I'm going to ask you, please do not use my story as an excuse to continue in your sin. Like, please do not listen to what I'm about to say and go, oh, well, if God, if God made it right for him, then he'll help me too. Because I had time that you might not have. And this is more than just like that thing that you say to try to scare people. You remember the guy that I said I, I made a, a deal with in like the seventh grade and, and we were going to hold one another accountable and then we didn't? Well, I'm here at 38 and a half years old and, and he's not. Because our junior year of high school, he was coming home from his girlfriend's house, probably later than he should have been. And he was in a vehicle that had a head-on collision with another vehicle and he passed away. See, you're not guaranteed anything. Don't you listen to my story and think, oh, well, I'm not sinning that bad. Or, oh, well, God will give me enough time. No, your life is but a vapor, and you don't know how many days, that you're, the, the, how many days you have left before you have to stand before the one who is holy. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. This is really important. If you listen to this story, I want you to be encouraged that, that if God can use us, Come on, he really can use you to host a group or co-lead a group or get more involved. Give of yourself and, and really, get in, really go all in with Jesus. Like if he can use me, guys, I'm telling you, there's nobody in here that he can't use. So here's some traumatic events, dramatic events. I had somebody ask me not too long ago, Chris, did you, did you go through like some some trauma as a kid. I guess it was because I'm like passionate and I got all these different issues and things and we'll share it throughout. He's like, did you go through some trauma? I was like, yeah, me. I went, me, I'm my trauma. <laughs> I told you I, I, I always had a guy, like I never remember not having a girlfriend. My aunt, my aunt said, I remember her saying this when I was like eight years old. She's like, boy, you change girlfriends more than you change underwear. I was like, you don't know how true that is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and so, and again, what was cute at seven or eight, all of a sudden when I was 17 and I found somebody that I actually cared about, and then she completely gave herself away to me, and I was the only person that she had ever done any of those things with. And then, and I'm, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but then, then this person ends up carrying my child. And you know how you send graduation invitations out, and you're really just hoping people will send you a lot of money? You don't care if they show up for the event, but it's like, hey, I'm graduating, send me some cash. So I did that. And I had one family member send me jelly beans. I was like, what, why are you send me jelly? But just send me the $4 worth of shipping, man. What the junk? So anyways, I had, I had money, um, more than I probably should have had. And so I was able to take some of that money, and I just paid for a, a I can't, four to six-week-old baby, not a fetus, baby, child with a heartbeat, according to science, no matter how many stupid people say otherwise. 
to be removed from the womb. And so that's why I called, told you a couple weeks ago, I, 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 I believe I have a 20-year-old in heaven today um, because I don't see in God's Bible. Now, I know there's some historical junk that says otherwise, but I don't see in God's word where Jesus put any stipulations on the little children coming to him except for that they would come. As if that wasn't hard enough for her and, and just this 18-year-old at that time, 17, 18, six months later, in the middle of the night, I just couldn't carry it anymore. I called her and I told her all the things that I had done with other people um, in the year and a half that, that I had been with her, which made the last year and a half of her life an absolute lie. Now listen, I, I don't know where she is today. What she, I don't know, we don't keep in, like we don't stay in touch. We've both moved on. I, I pray to God that he restored and reconciled even better than, than me, I don't know. I just know that in that moment, that crushed her. And her way of dealing with it crushed me more. See, I thought, well, I'll just confess these things and then we can move forward. Because when you confess something, you're free of it, right? Unless you're confessing it to the person it's going to affect. And what you just confessed, they now carry. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't confess. I'm actually saying you should probably confess sooner than later because those things are going to pile up on you. And, and I needed help and we needed help. The problem is we didn't ask for it. That's why we believe today in a holistic approach like this group's uh, DNA that we've developed, um, confessing your sin one to another. We believe in counseling. We pay as a church for people to go to professional counselors because I'm not a counselor. Like, I will meet with you and, and advise you and, and do my best to compassionately share with you. But to be totally honest, I meet with a lot of people once because for some reason they don't schedule another meeting. <laughs> it's like, what, did I, is it something I said? Because <laughs> I'm a fixer. I'm like, this is wrong. This is what you need to do. All right, let's go do it. Next. <laughs> some people need more than that. I needed more than that. In that season, I'm not trying to make it more dramatic than it is. If it would not have been for, you know what? First of all, if it wouldn't have been for my mom, oh, you mama's boy, so what? <laughs> Call Gabriel mama's boy, he don't care either. <laughs> if it wouldn't have been for my mom staying up late with me and praying with me and talking with me through that season, um, my dad taking lunch and just sitting with me. I, I just I remember these moments. Pastor Wayne Dubose um, of First Baptist Minden, Roddy Schaefer, my roommates, um, Tyler Lewis, Chase Cox, Kyle McGuire, two of which were my best men in my wedding, and one was one of my groomsmen. These guys who were actually trying to live for Jesus at that time, and if it wouldn't have been for all of those people, and then, I don't know if I wouldn't have had this healthy fear, because I did. And I hope somebody young is listening to me right now, or even somebody older in age but young in their journey. If it wouldn't have been for the foundational truth, like this fear, if you will, I knew in my heart of hearts, if I took my life, although I wanted to, this was, this was the most miserable year of my life thus far. 
And, and I brought it all on myself. Because sin has a consequence, even when you confess it. Ask David. It's like I can read the Psalms and hear David's cry. Like even after he was exposed and confessed and repented, he still had to go through the consequence of the decisions that he had made. And if I wouldn't have had this healthy fear of God in that time, I don't know. I, I think I might have gone through with some things. I'll leave, I'll spare you the details. Thank God I didn't. Um, Pastor Wayne Dubose at that time ministered to me, and it was actually at 19 years old I, in 2003. I really sensed, I really sensed like God calling me from LSU Shreveport and political science degree and, you know, with a major in baseball <laughs> to, to just go to Bible college. I wasn't ready for that, but I really sensed that I had that call at that time. I'd also made this covenant with God because I, I knew what my root issue was. It was obvious. And if you haven't been able to tell up to this point, it's pretty clear. Ask me after service. I'll help you out. So I made a covenant with God. God, for, for one year, I just need to be alone. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to kiss a girl. I didn't even understand the significance of it at that point. And uh, man, for like four months, I stayed true to that. I, was, I did awesome. And, and I had this call and all these things. And then I met some other person and I didn't answer the call. And at 19 years old, um, I smoked my first cigarette. I, I know I sound really North Louisiana when I say cigarette. Um, I, I smoked for the first time. I dipped for the first time. I, uh, I drank for the first time, you know, because I was a good little Baptist boy. Like, you can't drink and be Baptist, it's stupid. Like, I mean, you can mess with your girlfriend, but you can't drink and be Baptist. But isn't it silly how we like, how, how we will legitimize some sins and then, and then we'll draw our own lines and none of them are God's, God's word for our lives? We're like, well, I don't do this, but I do this. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Are you saved though, really? Are you like Paul and working out your salvation daily in fear and trembling? Or did you just be taught that you said a prayer one time and now you're good for all time? So that's why I struggle with those things. Because I, I just, I read this book and compare it to what I thought in my life and it scares me. One night, I got in a vehicle and I was the designated driver, which was dumb. Um, and I told the guy who's, I was like, dude, I can't drive a standard. Like I've driven a couple, like I could probably drive one across the farm. But he's like, oh, don't worry about it, you'll be good. So they drank all the way from Shreveport to Ruston. And I drove, sort of, I drove his vehicle, like we made it. I mean, we bunny hopped a lot on I-20, but you know, we made it there. And uh, we went to this house, and then we were all going to go out to this bar or whatever. And in this house was this little five-foot-two-inch blonde, about 100 pounds, cheerleader at Louisiana Tech at the time. And, and what's funny is just like six months earlier when I was sharing all of my mess that I had just been through with this other person in high school and then all those other people before, it, just the mess, my pastor... Wayne Dubose said, Chris, if you will continue in your relationship with God, 
then he will either restore this person and reconcile this relationship or he'll just keep restoring you and he will send you someone that will cause you to be glad that you didn't continue in this relationship. Okay, so fast forward six months later and I'm still looking for that person but I wasn't living for Jesus. And so I see this girl named Megan Fuller at this house and I took my first shots with her and then I hid the empty bottle of her only drink in the refrigerator that she was walking, who drank my Zima? One of y'all drink my drink? And I was like, I don't know who drank your drink. Ain't nobody here drank your drink. It's not on this couch underneath me right now for sure. Spilling all over your roommate's floor. I don't know who did that. Anyways, we went out that night. I didn't see her again, actually. And then the next semester, I saw her coming across the campus at LSU Shreveport. And uh, she had a boyfriend at the time, but I figured if I could break them up, they didn't need to be together. That was just my <laughs> philosophy, which is probably true. Um, so ultimately, they, they, be, they broke up, and we started dating. And would you believe that all of my personal issues didn't just go away because I found that person? You know why? Because when you meet somebody and you're living outside of God's will for your life, they can't change you. In fact, all you do is connect to them and they add to your issues and you add to their issues. Because your transformation is not going to be found in another man or woman. You are only transformed when you be in Christ. Then you are a new creation. Then old things pass away. Then all things become new. And the only person that can transform you is the person of the Holy Spirit. So we had these two people who were actually supposed to be together. At least we believe at this point in the process that this was God's plan for one another, but we couldn't see it because we were so messed up. And because we were so messed up, we messed one another up. And for two years, we dragged one another through absolute Hades. Fast forward, February 2006. I went out to Superior Steakhouse, Shreveport, Louisiana, with my 40-year-old dad, stupid we drank and played and I met some 28 30 year old woman with a child I, this is how stupid you get this is what sin will do and uh, I called Megan and she was mad and I, you weren't answering the phone I was like I'm with my dad <laughs> that's why I preach the way that I preach Later, I found out that she was sitting in her car crying across the parking lot as she watched me fill my truck up with gas to go on about my night, and we broke up for the last time. I believe that was a Thursday or Friday. I spent the weekend, although I had this angst, I just fought it off. I was like, man, this is too much. It's too much. We've done enough. We've broken up enough. We've hurt one another enough. Like we just need to move on. And Sunday night, 
I had a dream. And Louisiana State University Shreveport's physical education building had a sidewalk that came out to the parking lot. And in my dream, I looked up and Megan, her little blonde head, walking towards me in a white dress as if she, as if she were pure. It wasn't a wedding dress, it was just a white dress. And she was just walking towards me. And then I woke up and I couldn't shake it. And I called her and she wouldn't answer. <laughs> Go figure. I finally got her to answer and I went over and, and we spent the rest of that day. And when I, when I got to her, I didn't find her in a white dress. I found her in her ex-boyfriend's white socks. <laughs> Hi, we're your pastors. Look at us, yay. That was a tough day. At one point in the conversation, Megan said, Chris, what do you, what do you want? Do you just expect some miracle to happen? And I looked back um, and I said, you know what? That is exactly what I asked God on the way over here today. God, I don't know what this is. I don't know what's going on, but I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of being this way. I'm so sick of being this guy. I need you to perform a miracle today. And I looked at her in that moment, wherever you are in your journey, and I said, I have followed Jesus for seasons of my life. There was a time when I recognized the difference in being in the middle of God's call and being caught up in the consequences of your own decisions. And I looked at her and I said, I'm telling you, from this day forward, that was February 2006, from this day forward, a week before Valentine's Day, I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. And as long as I do that, then you can trust God to trust me. If I ever stop, you need to get away from me because I will crush you. I am afraid of who I am outside of Christ. That Wednesday night, we went together um, to this little Rama, name it, claim it, run around the room, kick off your shoes, throw them in the floor, church. And... Uh, and the pastor preached a message, his living word in Menden, Louisiana. I actually, I, I, love, I love those people. Um, I, that church being as out of order as it was is, is confusing to people who are not as super spiritual as them or us or whatever. But, so that's why we, we try to maintain order because that's what the Bible tells us to do. But we looked at that night. We went in that night, and, and my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, was looking around like, God, where has he brought me now? <laughs> this dude cannot figure it out. And according to her testimony, she shared, I asked God, if you're anywhere in this, I need you to show me. And I remember that night, the pastor preaching, David Dobelbus, David and Paige Dobelbus, David preached a message that night about allowing God to fill in the cracks of your cup. Forgiveness, sin, bitterness, complacency, whatever it is, you are a broken vessel. But God wants to fill in the cracks of your cup so that he can fill you to overflow and you will quit leaking and missing out on what he has for you. 
And if that resonates with you, I want you to stand up and come to the front. And I was like, I'm in. Megan's like, come on. Come on. So up we go. They're coming down the line. People are falling on the floor. She's looking like, I ain't going down. I'm up in the front with my arms lifted in the air. God, I want to feel you. I want to know you. I want to. And the Lord said to me, Chris, would you please? This is not about feeling. This is about believing. Would you stop chasing a feeling and just obey? And I was like, that's not what I expected to hear. (laughs) Pastor laid his hand on me. I was like, I feel nothing. (laughs) I turned around to go sit. And my girlfriend at the time is laying on the floor (laughs) in a trance like this. And I looked back up at God and said, what is that? She said, when that lady laid hands on me, I have never sensed the power of God. I don't know what happened. I don't know how long I was there. All I know is I was standing one minute, and the next minute I woke up, and I was in a place that I couldn't move. The room was blurry, but God's presence was all over me, which is why we pray every Sunday which is why we have groups and freedom groups and freedom conferences. And we intentionally plan special services for just somebody to come stumbling in that day. It's why we never just have another Sunday or another service because we believe that that is somebody's Sunday every single week. And she got up and here we are a thousand altars later. A thousand responses later, as a, a thousand mistakes later. February 2007, no, sorry, February 2008, we got engaged. October of 2007, we actually began to try to pursue purity, like completely pursue purity. See, that was a, that was a process for us, that whole sanctification, but it was a process that we fought. And we didn't just succumb to and go, well, God must be okay with it, because he's not. But it was something that we refused to be okay with. You know, and I was, for that year, we, there were some times when we stumbled because, because Megan wouldn't leave me alone. You know, I was like, wait, just wait, girl, in the name of Jesus. Just, just keep your hands to yourself for once, you know. (laughs) She told me I could say that. We started going to Broadmoor Assembly of God. I'll give Pastor David Daniel and Angela Daniel some credit where credit's due. And Pastor Johnny and April Hunt began to mentor us and minister to us. Um, I answered every altar call. Pastor Letitia, y'all come on. Um, I answered, if God said it, I was willing to do it. You see, I want, I want to explain where I am because I thought I wanted to make a ton of money, go to law school, whatever, 
play baseball, be a contractor in North Louisiana, it, whatever. Because I spent my whole life, I spent my whole life, come on, hold in with me. I, I promise I'm almost done. I'm letting you out early today. Um, I spent my whole life trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And in 2007, in 2008, I started asking the question, God, what do you want to do with my life? And so today, I pastor a church of 700 people. My wife planted a school that my children go to. Not because our children needed anywhere to go. We're right in the middle of two building projects and I think the most overwhelming days of my leadership are still ahead of me, us. Almost every day I get overwhelmed by something and I don't deal with depression, I really don't, but I, 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 I deal with anxiety. Thank God, up to this point, I haven't had to take anything for it. I try to fight that with worship and devotionals and a personal feeding program with Jesus because we give a lot away. Uh, every time somebody calls or texts or something happens, I get anxious. I'm, I'm not very interruptible. I really don't have the greatest personality. <laughs> I still fight selfishness. I'm, still fight being overly ambitious and not being able to really enjoy the moment. I'm very task oriented and I have to be very attentive to like paying attention to every individual instead of just kind of the whole big picture all the time. But, but, I've been faithfully married to one woman for the last 14 years. When we were engaged in February of 2008, we had tried this, but we were not really successful with it. In February, I said, hey, look, I don't wanna kiss you until our wedding day. Well, she was like, well, okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> Cause that wasn't a big deal for her. <laughs> like, okay. And then for 40 days before our marriage, we didn't touch. That was eight months. You remember that covenant that I made with God in 2019? I'm sorry, when I was 19 in, two, in 2003 and only made it four months? God brought it back. Today, I'm ordained with the Assemblies of God. I have a master's degree in Christian leadership from a theological seminary. I didn't miss the call. God redeemed the call. Today, my children don't know that guy. They're not carrying that curse. All they know is the people of God that make up the house of God. My children only know their mama and their daddy in the same home. Guys, that's not my story. But you can change it. 
in the name of Jesus by obedience to the Holy Spirit. All I'm doing, this is it. This is all I'm doing. All I'm doing is staying true to what I told her. From this day forward, from this day forward, I am going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. So I sit before you as nothing more than an example of what God will do with someone that says, Lord, there is no longer an area of my life that you don't have access to. And I challenge you. That's why God, God can ask me to sell my house and move and give the money to the church. He can ask me to sell a vehicle or buy land or donate whatever. He can ask me for offerings that I don't know whether they're in the account. He can ask me to move anywhere, go anywhere, live anywhere. He can do whatever he wants to because I know what he's done for me up to this point. And I can only imagine what he wants to do from this point forward. I'm so dramatic and emotional as it is. I wanted this to be just this somber moment of, it's just who God is. So that's why I have these soap boxes and that's why I preach the way that I preach. And I wake up every day and I just ask God, please don't let me mess this up. Please don't let me mess her up. Don't let me mess them up. Help me to be the man that you created me to be. So that I can be the leader that everybody else needs me to be.